There's a word that every American should know. And the word is solipsist. Don't ask me to spell it. Um, but it's a word that accurately describes us as a nation and us as individuals. Uh, basically, the word means that you think that nobody exists other than yourself. And uh, it's the habit of Americans for a variety of reasons, to think that uh, all of history was pointing to this particular day and time. And now that you mention it, to me, and I speak for yourself, we have a great deal of difficulty. I'm taking the liberty of speaking for you. Um, we have a great deal of difficulty uh, doing anything other than paying lip service to the equality of all men and all time. And I want to read from this book. We read this chapter a few weeks ago in our worship. We've been reading through 2 Corinthians, you know, this morning. But let me remind you of what we read a few weeks ago. Verse 9, chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. So he's speaking of taking an offering for the need of other Christians who are poor. And he's using Jesus as an example. And they have committed themselves to giving money to other believers who were in need. <clears throat> and they had the intentions and they had the desire, he says in verse 10. And then in verse 11, he says, but now finish doing it also so that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may be also the completion of it by your ability. Then he's a slip twixt the cup and the lip. We have good intentions, but often don't follow through. And he's pushing them. Follow through on this. And then he says this, for this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction. And then look at that little phrase coming. But what? By way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need, so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need that there may be equality. As it is written, what? He who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little had no lack. Now, where does that come from? If you have a Bible like mine, it's in small caps. And you'll see in the margin a reference, Exodus 16, verse 18. So flip there with me. It's in small caps. It's a quote from the Old Testament. And we see that this is the account of the Lord providing meat to Israel. And the particular meat he provided was quail. The quail fly in and the ground's littered with them. It says in verse 13 of Exodus 16, So it came about at evening that the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness, there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. When the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. 
This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it every man as much as he should eat. You shall take an omer apiece according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. The sons of Israel did so, and some gathered much. They were eager beavers. And some little. They were probably lazy. And when they measured it with an omer, he who had gathered much had no excess and he who had gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. Isn't that interesting? So now flip back to Second Corinthians, and it says, verse 14, Your abundance being a supply for their needs, so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need, that there may be equality, as it is written, He who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little had no lack. So we see in the Old Testament that the Israelites had a radical equality put across their community by the work of God. They thought that they were going to get one up on their neighbor, and so they worked hard, but they had, at the end of the day, they had the same amount as their neighbor who had been maybe slightly lazy and hadn't worked as hard. And the Bible uses this as an example to the Christians in Corinth and says to them, you ought to give money in such a way that you make yourselves equal with your poor Christian brothers. Now, uh, earlier this morning, we were told that Rwanda is a nation that has an average income of $67 a year. What would it mean when our average income, taking into account that we have a large number of students, is probably somewhere around twenty dollars or $25,000? And you see that there is a debt of gratitude that we owe to the continent of Africa. Now, not just the continent of Africa, but all over the world, that if God still loves equality, if God still intends that Christians live in such a way that by our giving, the person that has little is raised up and the person that has much is pushed down by our action, not by the work of God and equaling out the gathering in his own miraculous way, but by our action, then this is one of the reasons why we should love people that are from different places, that speak differently, that are of a different color, um, people who are of a different age, even in terms of age. The little baby and the old person should be cared for by the person who's in the prime of life. So when I come back and say the word is solipsist, it's very easy for Christians in the United States to not give a wit about somebody from another part of the world. And this morning we have the privilege of caring about the Christians in Rwanda. And what you will hear is that God has made them poor in money, but rich in the work of the Holy Spirit. The other night I had the privilege of being with my family at the Dodrills for dinner and hearing of the work of God in Rwanda. And I had hoped this morning that this place would be packed with people that wanted to hear of that work. Um, I commend you for coming. I commend John Baptiste to you. Afterwards, there will be a meal, and I encourage you to stay. And my goal is that we as a community will show the same sort of radical equality that the Holy Spirit did with the manna and with the quail in the time of the Israelites being in the wilderness. Jean-Baptiste, we welcome you.
Is it on? I think you're going to have to take it. Praise the Lord. The Lord is good. We say back home all the time. The Lord is good all the time. And if I say all the time, then you can say, The Lord is good. The Lord is good. And all the time. Amen. As the pastor said, I'm Jean Baptiste Mugarura. I come from a small country of Rwanda, 11,000 square miles south of Equator. At the moment, we have 8 million people in that small country, and I've come with my brother Eli. Uh, please, may you stand up? And we bring you greetings from all the Christians in Rwanda, those that we are able to meet, especially our families, everybody sends greetings. It's a privilege for me this, uh, this day to be here, and I thank God for using people like Dave Dodry and his family and the pastor to give me this opportunity. I don't think that I will be having much to share other than what the Lord has done in my life, but also what I believe God wants to do in your life. I go back to the songs that we had a few minutes ago, and all those songs point to the cross of Jesus Christ. They point to who Jesus Christ is and what he did or came to do. But also, as it has been mentioned to you, I would like to share the faithfulness of God in the life of a humble man like myself, or a small country like Rwanda. For those of you who were here this morning, I mentioned a few things that the Lord has done in my country, that the Lord has done through me and my colleagues, a few things things which God is doing not only through Youth for Christ, but even through His body, the church in Rwanda, several Christian organizations, several churches, to rebuild a country that was complete, almost completely destroyed in 1994. A small uh, recap of what happened, which I need to bring to your attention for those of you who are not here. In that small, tiny country of Rwanda, in 1994, from 6th April to the 4th July, three months, we lost one million people not by floods or earthquakes, but people who were killed. And mathematically that means one out of seven. But three million people went to exile in three days. It's not easy now to count how many were leaving the country each day, but if you remember your screens in 1994, that picture is still so strong in your minds. The three million people who were left in the country, everybody was traumatized. And everybody was displaced. But let me put it this way, everybody had lost somebody. 
and everybody had lost something. That's what I normally describe as the valley of dry bones, not in my own words, but I remember in 1994 when I had left the country and I was in Nairobi, Kenya, and I had time to pray. Then God gave me this picture of the words that you and I read in Ezekiel chapter 37. It's not what I'll be talking about this morning. But the valley of dry bones. The valley of dry bones. And remember the question that God asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? Ezekiel replied, oh God, you alone know. Do you know whether they will live or not? And Ezekiel was sent back to go and prophesy to these bones. And when he did, he saw the bones, the marrows coming back, the muscles coming back, the flesh coming back. And by the wind, these bodies came back to life. So, I not probably go into those details, but I said, this morning I was showing what God has done after all that traumatic event or tragedy that befell our country. But this time what I want to share with you is building on the solid foundation. Building on the solid foundation. And the words that I want to share with, with you this morning, I want us to revisit our Bibles. And we'll be reading from Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. It's the story of the wise and foolish builders. Matthew chapter, 20, uh, chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the ha that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house and fell with a great crash. I said I'll be talking about building the solid on the solid foundation. Building on the rock. There could be several other uh, Bible passages that we could have read, but I will just limit myself on these few verses. I say this because I want to go back to the hand of God that I saw in my life during the three months of turmoil, the three months of chaos in the country. And when I look back at everything that happened, there is no wonder that today I can repeat these words that our God is faithful, that our God is strong, that our God is the greatest God. When you talk about building brothers and sisters, I don't know how you Americans build houses. It has been very difficult 
my brother Eli and myself, we've been trying to figure out how you Americans build houses. Beautiful houses. We tried to figure out how many of you use bricks. Very few. But many of you use wood. In my country, when you use wood, then that means it's a soft house. But your houses are very strong. In my country, people would use bricks if you want to build a strong house. You use stones if you want to build a strong house. But if you use wood, then that house must be weak. Here in America, I've seen several houses built with wood, and yet these houses are strong. In America, I looked around, you have tall buildings. Oh, we talk about the Twin Towers that uh, you people and ourselves will remember with tears. But I go to Chicago, there is the Sears Tower. You go to, uh, to Seattle, how do you pronounce that word? Seattle, in Washington State. Tall buildings. And this place we have a lot of earthquakes. Tornadoes, thunderstorms, and to me it's amazing that houses keep standing in such circumstances. In our area where we use bricks, where we use stones, anytime there are thunderstorms, we have several people dying. We don't have uh, storage buildings. They are not high. But people die. The question is, how do we build our houses? Let me put it this way. This passage that we read, it starts with the word therefore. And this word therefore, we are coming, it's introducing a conclusion of the word that Jesus spoke right from Matthew chapter 4 when he gave his mission statement. Then chapter 5, he's talking about the Beatitudes, and he continues on and on giving the teachings, and he comes to this conclusion. You have heard these words. If you put them into practice, you'll be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on, a, on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house and fell with a great crash. The point, the point here, he had even talked earlier on about people who would be coming to him saying, Lord, Lord, Lord. We prophesied in your, in your name. We did great works, wonders in your name. And he will say, I did not know you, you evildoers. I did not know you. Despite all the great works that we, have, we, we, we did, here he's saying, I don't know you. And my question is, why? I think when you go back to these passages that we, we, we end up into, uh, by this introduction, therefore, it brings me back to where we build. 
and reminds me one of our preachers in the conference that we had in Brazil. He said, everybody believes in something. Nobody will say, I don't believe in something. Everybody has faith. But the question is, what do you believe? It's not a matter of faith alone. But the question is, what do you believe? What, faith in what? Faith in what? These words of, of Christ, He's teaching the relationship between you and, and God, between me and God, the relationship between myself and my neighbor, how I should behave, how I should live. These, these words, these teachings, the source of my life, the source of my living, the source of my strength, and the source of what I do. The words that strengthen me, the words that strengthen you, the words that helps you, the words that encourage you, the words that motivate what you do. If you believe in these words. But I want to suggest this morning that we should understand it this way. If you believe in me, because I find it difficult to set a difference between Christ and his words. His life and his words, they match together. But at the same time, I want to say, it's very difficult for me to establish the difference between Christ and his Father in terms of what we, you and I understand as God. If you believe, and put these things into practice. Because you cannot practice what you do not believe. Then you will be like a wise man who built his house on a solid foundation, on the rock. Brothers and sisters, no matter what happens in our life, no matter how you build, there will always be problems. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what you do, there will always be problems. Americans, you have problems, but Africa also has problems. Africans, you have problems, but you Americans also have problems. No matter who you are, where you are, what you do, problem, problems will be there. Whether you are a pastor or not, whether you are a Christian or not, we see these two houses, the house built by the foolish man and the house built by the wise man, all these houses face the same problems. We are in the world where we fetch water, where we get our water. It's where even those who do not believe fetch their water. We are in a world where the economy, what happens in the economy affects everybody, Christians and non-Christians. We are in the world, what happens in politics affects all of us. But why do many of, of us still believe and stand even when there is these problems? Tornadoes, thunderstorms, we not choose which house to hit and which house not to hit. They will hit whatever they find on their way. But the question is, why do some houses keep standing where other, when others crash and with a great crash. 
The problem has to do with the foundation. How you and I build our foundations. The foundation on the rock is very difficult to build. And when you go about to the teachings of Jesus Christ, He's not calling us. He's not calling you to something that is very simple. It's not very easy. You and I believe that we are saved by grace. You can't buy grace. But I want to suggest that grace is not cheap. It costs blood. I mean, our salvation costs the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And following Jesus Christ, he says you have to carry the cross. But I go back, following Jesus Christ, you take his teachings, you take his, his word in your heart, and you apply it into your life. And this becomes the source of your joy, the source of your strength. I said earlier on that we all face the same problems. The thunderstorms, problems come everywhere. In our economies, the dollar, whatever, all those things come our way and they affect us indirectly or directly. Whatever it is, we are affected. But the question is, why do some stand and others don't? The question is where our faith is. Brothers and sisters, I mentioned the stories of Rwanda in 1994. It all started uh, on the 6th. We had known the war for the past three years, and the situation was getting worse and worse. At that time, I was working for the bank. I was doing ministry evening. I was doing ministry in the weekends. That was fine with me. I shared with your pastor some of those strong memories that I have. When I was still working for the bank and the Lord spoke to us, what's going to happen? And some of those things, we never took them serious or acted upon those warnings. But that 6th April, when it all began, I remember when I went to my room, when I knew what had happened, that the president has been killed, and I had seen how things were growing on a daily basis. And we had reached at a point where, you know, you don't see the way out. Ahead of us, everything was darker. I remember that Wednesday when I had finished the choir practice. There was fear. Everybody feared. We didn't know what to do. Nothing had happened yet. But there was fear. That with my colleagues, among them my girlfriend, we had not even time to talk about, you know, what to do next day. We only had to run to our homes. We had not had anything, any single bullet shot. But that night, the president was killed. It took me the next day on Thursday 7th to understand what had happened. And when I woke up in the morning and I learned what had happened, I remember I rushed back to my room. I knelt down and I said, Oh God, I don't know what to do. I will not do anything unless you tell me what to do. I will not go anywhere unless you tell me where to go. Because this is overwhelming, I don't know what to do about it. It didn't take long for God to speak to me. I knew I had to go to the West. I shared with your pastor that when I went to the West, 
of the country. Or I didn't reach in fact where I was going. But I left home without any single money. Because these people had come, they had attacked me, they took everything. Never had any single money. Never had properties. It happened that I had to separate from my family. It happened that I had to separate. I was working for the bank, but this time the bank was not working. The killings had just begun. The banks cannot help. We do not have credit cards, but they themselves at that time were useless. There are times in life when those things that we hold dear become useless. There are times we talk about thunderstorms. There are times when what you and I build on are shaken. The, the Bible tells us in Psalms chapter 11, verse 3, that the foundations of the world are being destroyed. But in chapter 81, verse 5, they say, those foundations are being shaken. The economy is being shaken. The stability is being shaken. The relationships are shaken. You don't have your loved ones. Like it happened to me. I ended up on, on, the other, on the other side. Not with any member of the family. Not with any member of the team that I had worked with in the ministry. Not with anybody in the bank. Not with anybody that, that I knew. Not with any single coin in my pocket. Not with any property. But God provided for my needs. I remember that month, 11th April, 11th May, in that village, killings going on everywhere. People being killed, children being killed, old women being killed, men being killed, all of them thrown into the river. And I remember that one day, when I committed myself not to drink water from that area. Because I see people being killed and thrown into the river. I know how this affected people in Uganda because they could not, all these rivers go to, into Lake Victoria that is in Uganda. People in Uganda could not eat fish. The economy of Uganda was shaken by the killings in the country. The bodies of people come into Lake Victoria, then you affect Tanzania, Kenya and Uganda, people could not eat fish. But did not stop there. In Egypt, Sudan, Ethiopia, they were all affected because they could not eat fish. Probably I would say, probably, I don't have statistics, that 20% of the poor were killed in Rwanda, all of them were in this river Nile that has its sources, some of its sources in Rwanda. I committed myself not to drink water because for me water, the, the time I saw water, I remember the bodies that were thrown into the rivers. I thank God those days. I never went thirsty. I never begged. I never stole. I had food to eat. Even from these people that I could ne never believe would give me food and where to stay when I was a stranger. They are king their neighbors. They are king their relatives. And here I am, a stranger. I'm getting enough for myself. The foundations can be shaken. 
the political foundations. If you are holding on the stability of the nation, my brother, uh, my brother and sister, those can be shaken. You are living in America where transition is always peaceful. It's through the ballot paper. We have lived in a continent where transition from one president to the other is through the word of the bullet. Not from the ballot paper, but from the bullet. And what happens? You go to Sudan, what's happening there? Not necessarily because of what they believe and what not. People are dying on a daily basis. Congo, which used to be called Zaire. People are dying. You go to Burundi, the same story. It came to me, I had believed all my years prior to 1990, that Rwanda is the most peaceful country in the world. We speak one language. We understand one another. I believed at that time that we love our president. That was yet to be proved later on when the war began. I believed that we are the most peaceful country, better than any other country in the world. Nothing will happen to us. We are progressing, development, we have stability. That was only the song. It just happened once. And then all of a sudden, things started falling apart. And when things started falling apart, one of the African famous writers called Chinua Achebe, he says, when things fall apart, the center cannot hold. And the question here today, what is the center? The center is what is in your heart today. What you hold on to dearly. What is your foundation? Politics can fall apart. The political power can fall apart. I go back to the history that you and I know. The history of a superpower called you know, uh, what do you call it? U-R-S-S or U-S-S-R. Young people not know what I, I'm talking about. But old people remember somebody called Khrushchev who had said that he would destroy America. There will be no, no, no more US, USA. We don't talk about Khrushchev today. We don't talk about the Soviet Union today. If you are holding on being a superpower, that cannot last longer. If the foundation, the real foundation, is not standing. Building on God's word. Building on Christ as the solid foundation. It does not only keep you in terms, in terms of, uh, of turmoil. In terms of, in terms of tribulations. In terms of temptations. Building on Christ. Even when everything seems peaceful, you know you are holding to what cannot be destroyed, what cannot be shaken. Jesus Christ, the source of my joy, the source of my satisfaction. The economies disappoint us. Politics disappoint us. But Jesus Christ speaking in the, you know, these words, he was also addressing people who are holding on to religion. Religion can fall apart. Religion without the center, which is God, if it's not meant to, uh, to praise God, to worship God, it can fall apart. But when it falls apart, what remains? Brothers and sisters, I want to say that when we go back to our Bible, the Bible tells us 
that Jesus Christ is the rock. Jesus Christ is the solid foundation. The foundation that Paul talks about in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. The foundation which we are going to build all our works. And all our works are going to be tested by fire. The fire can be the tribulations that you go through. I went through fire. I saw bullets crossing over my head. 13th May. I was at a point where they, they told me to, to sit down. And the gun was on my head with serious charges. At that time, any small charge from anybody who does not even know you did not even need more than two minutes for you to be dead. I remember on 8th April when the gun was in my eye and they were hitting me in the chest. You know, I like that day, but many times I don't even like, want to talk about it. Because they took me to my bedroom. And when they took me to my bedroom, they told me to kneel down. And as I was kneeling down, you guess where I was facing? I was kneeling down at a place where I always knelt down to pray. And I was facing this wall. And on the wall, there was the cross of Jesus Christ. And the title says, Victory of Jesus Christ on the cross. And you know, I'm just facing this cross. On that cross, we are told of Jesus Christ, His victory over the laws, the laws that were binding people. The victory of Jesus Christ over the world. He has conquered the world. The victory of Jesus Christ was defeated the devil. The victory of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus Christ was overcome even pain, even death itself. And I was there, kneeling down, and they are hitting me. And they are telling me, don't tell us anything else but where money is. And I had given them all the money that I had. But all the words that came out of my mouth was, may God bless you. And they hit me, I say, God bless you. God bless you. Until when one of them came and said, oh, let's go. They went and left me there. But God had spoken to me. That that would be the sign for me to leave home. I left home. I went and stayed in the barracks of the people who had attacked me. It's a story that is always difficult to tell. These were the soldiers who had come to attack me and my family, accusing us of not being the kind of people they wanted because they believed if you are not with them, if you are not working with the militia, then you are collaborating with the rebels or the people who want to overthrow the government. If you are not accepting what they say, the killings, the, the message of hating one another, then you are collaborating with the other side. And you are probably treated the most dangerous person, the undesirable person, to be eliminated in the society. But let me remind you, God who had touched my heart, God who had transformed me, he gave me even love to love these people and say, in all these tortures, God bless you. I went to their barracks that day. <laughs> That's why I spent my first night. How did I have access? I don't, I can't explain. How did I get out? 
nobody stopped me. When I was entering, nobody stopped me. When I was getting out the next day, nobody stopped me. I went freely. Then later on, the 30 months that I spent in that other area, God providing my needs on a daily basis. And then I left that place. The test was not over. The test that I faced, which I would compare today as the thunderstorms that you profess, the test of coming across this young girl that they wanted to kill, a small girl, probably 12 or 13 years. She had left her home when everybody in that home has been killed. And this small girl was running to the high school where she believed when she reaches there, the leader of the school is probably going to have mercy over this little girl and give her a paper, a document that would help this girl at least to present to the militia so that she would survive. The disappointing news is she reached to this person. I said religion can fail us. Probably you are holding on to religion. I like the church. I love the church. But many times we can be disappointed by individuals. This girl was disappointed by the person that she came running to, who was a religious leader. And I was sitting there looking at this girl. Two men from that area, in fact, who were with us, had been taken to be killed. And this girl was just sitting there, waiting for her turn to be taken. And I'm just sitting there, oh God, what do I do in this particular case? Re-approaching, daring to talk to this girl would mean that you are accepting death yourself that day. But the question is, can I keep quiet when this little girl is going to be killed? Probably I may not stop her death, but maybe I can lead her to Christ before she's killed. I went and spoke to her. She gave me her names, Christine. And I started talking to her. She looked into my eyes and she said, you talk like one of my uncles. And I said, who is your uncle? She said to me, he's called Simon, Simon Pierre. If I say in English, that would be confusing because it sounds like uh, Simon Peter, Simon Pierre. And this Simon Pierre He's the person we had chosen earlier on before the crisis to be the leader of the, of the interim committee of youth for Christ. And I had known that Simon Pierre had been killed on 6th May. Now I'm with this girl. And she says, she knows Simon Pierre, it's her uncle. I, know, I knew this man, he was my friend. I knew he has been killed, but this girl didn't know that he has been killed. And I dare to take a bold step of saving this girl's life. I know how many people came to me and said, well, John, you are risking your life. You are even risking the life of the small other kids who are with you. I said, if I have to die today, I will accept death if it means the salvation, if it means the safety of this little girl. I thank God Christine is still alive. I thank God that she's still alive. I thank God that I could share with Christine the love of God. The love of God involves taking risks. The love of God 
involves standing for what you believe. The love of God is not going to be real in your life if your roots are not deep-rooted in Christ and in His Word. You know His Word. You accept it to be the guide of your life. It's going to enable you to stand even when everything else corrupts Faith in Christ. Believe Christ to be your Savior and your Lord. Many of us, we are holding to things that do not have power to resist when there is a kind of test. It can be the test of fire. But let me put it this way. Remember something. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, Paul says, The solid foundation of God is still standing, and on it is inscribed that God knows those who belong to Him. The, those words, those words were food of my life in 1994. Every time things were pushing me, I would remember the word of God. I would remember the death of Christ on, on the cross. I would remember the message of, of, of Jesus Christ. And I would go to my knees, knees. God sustain me. God keep me. Things are tough. But I want to move on. I want to say, it was possible for me, in 1994, when meetings like these, the, the meeting that you and I have to, today were not possible. God gave me time. God gave me chance. God gave me the privilege to preach the gospel. Even churches when it was not easy to meet in churches. God give, gave me the opportunity to preach the gospel. To share the love of Christ in times that were very tough. Sometimes on the street, sometimes in a meeting hall where we are meeting, just to ask ourselves what to do next. God gave me the opportunity. I don't want to stand tall or to say that I'm strong. I could, I could not have done anything on my own. But one thing I know, Christ who saved my life. I mentioned earlier on that I was born in a Muslim family. I grew up where in my family we practiced ancestor worship. The pastor was helping me to understand that you people here, you know, you, you speak of animism. That was the kind of family. God who, brought, who saved me out of that family in 1980 spoke to me in 1990 on 12th December and gave me the words that we read in Jeremiah 17 where he says, Blessed is the man who puts his trust in God. You remember what follows in verse 8? That he uh, will be like a tree planted by the river. I'm trying to put everything in English because my first language is not English and the Bible that I read is not always English. He will be like a tree planted by the river. He will not fear in the dry season. When there is drought, his roots are deep-rooted. And they always suck water. I draw a, a, a comparison with the house that is built on the rock. Even when times are tough, this person is able to praise the Lord. 
because the roots are deep. Even when times are tough, we have the earthquake, we have the thunderstorm. This house still stands when others collapse. This person still praises because the roots are deep. Even when other trees, the leaves, they dry off. The fruits cannot be seen. But this man has the fruits. He has the, the, the leaves. He has life. In times of temptations, in times, times of tribulations, in times of test, the person who puts his trust in God, the person who has built on Christ, and not on anything else, this person is going to stand uh, tall in very difficult times. I want to end with this. Some words to remember. One, Jesus Christ is the author and perfectioner of our faith. If your faith is not in Him, if your faith does not begin in Him, if your faith is not perfected in Him and by Him, there is trouble. Your faith will not stand. Hebrews 12, verse 2. We will need to remember that Jesus Christ is the rock of God. And I remember this song, The Rock of Ages. Cleft for me. Jesus Christ is the rock of God. He is the foundation of our faith. As I, read in first, uh, as I said in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. He is faithful and never fails. All other foundations can fail. All other foundations can fall. All other foundations can sink. But Christ stands forever. And blessed is the man and woman who builds on Christ. Those who build on Him, let me put it this way, will not be ashamed. The words of Prophet Isaiah, when God says that I lay a cornerstone, the foundation in Zion, he who builds on that foundation will not be ashamed. If you build on Jesus Christ, you will not be ashamed. I want you to remember that the foundations are being destroyed everywhere. That the foundations are being shaken everywhere. The Dora Foundation is being shaken. You know it, you yourselves. The stock markets. I always follow the news on the TV. The foundations are being destroyed. They are being shaken. Some are being destroyed. Others are being shaken. I remember coming to the U.S. in the year 2000. Everything was very easy, very simple. Coming back in the year 2002, I have to remove my shoes, my belt, my everything. The foundations are being shaken. Where is your faith? Rains, thunderstorms, tornadoes are coming against what we hold on to. What you and I have built on to. They are coming. On a daily basis. The question is, how are you going to stand? And fire is coming against the works which you and I build on that foundation. Our works are they gold? Are they built on the solid foundation? Where, where have you built? 
and what have you built? And how have you built? It's a question that you and I need to answer. If you have built on the solid foundation, the better. But I have fear that probably the roof is stronger, is heavy, because the roof is attractive, it tells the rest, you know, who you are and what you do. The walls of the house probably look very strong and smart and clean. They tell everybody who comes to your house who, uh, the type of person you are. But my fear, the roof and the walls could be heavier than the foundation could bear. If your foundation is on the sand, time is going to tell. Time is going to tell. Not necessarily bad events like what we experienced in Rwanda or the September 11th or the tornadoes. If the roof and the walls are stronger than the foundation, we don't need bad days for the test. Time itself is the test of how solid is your foundation. As I close, let me put this, uh, let me say this. I want us to remember this song and I will appreciate if you will sing this song with me. It's a song that as I go back to 1994, remembering the faithfulness of God, remembering what Jesus Christ did for me and for several few Christians like myself who miraculously survived genocide and massacres, the song that I sang all those days, Christ, the solid, how do you call it? I want to read those, those words, sorry. It takes more, much of my time, but we'll sing that one. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame but hurry lean on Jesus' name. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his co uh, covenant, his blood support me. In then, oh, my, I am finding it difficult to read the words here. But the point is so simple. I may not follow what is written here because I have to figure out how they wrote it. But the point is so simple. I go back to that song, remembering all those days and the struggles that I went through. And for me, it sounds like this. Faith in the Savior, Jesus Christ. I... I put my faith in Him and His blood and I commit myself to imitate Jesus Christ. Uh, when, whenever I'm surrounded by darkness, I don't count on anything else but His grace. Trials, tribulations, and uh, temptations and troubles will come, but He will not forsake me. He will not forsake me. His blood purifies me. His promises prepare me. Even if I lose what, I, uh, what is dear to me, 
He is the only one I trust. When he comes back, he will find me ready, clothed, clothed with his righteousness, and my, my dress will be spotless, and he will take me to be with him. I'm in a country, still there, the test is still going on, but I count on nothing less except Jesus Christ, the solid foundation of God. Let's pray.